Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex Optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to. You can pick their brain. You can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar. May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you. And we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13.
Welcome to the fourth and final episode of this series with Mr. Paul Butera and Shane Parker. We're breaking down some very interesting stuff in this one. I know that these last three weeks have been really information-packed, and that's one reason we kind of broke it up into four episodes, because uh, if you tried to listen to all this at once, you would miss so much. Because, dude, by the way, editing this thing, I got so much more out of editing this than I got when we were actually sitting there. Because, dude, it's drinking from a fire hose, man. So breaking it down, it's like eating an elephant, man, one bite at a time. So this is part four. Jacob, uh, you got anything? It's been exciting so far, guys. Again, the feedback, I'm super excited to kind of hear from everybody of what you thought, especially after listening to this part four episode of this series. Again, four weeks, uh, you know, roughly over four hours worth of uh, audio content talking about this study that Shane Parker's been putting on and getting Paul Patera's take on it. It's been Absolutely fantastic. Uh, again, hope you all have enjoyed Michael Pack, Michael Pike being back on the podcast. Uh, so it's been super interesting. Again, kind of getting everybody back together and, uh, and discussing this. So i uh, love to get y'all's feedback. But other than that, guys, just make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Share this series uh, with a buddy. Again, if you got somebody you think would benefit from this series, go share them a link up to the podcast. We appreciate everybody's support. and Everybody have been leaving us reviews, talking about the series. has been absolutely awesome as well. And, guys, listen. We will catch you back at the end of this episode in this series to talk a little bit more. And, guys, you're not going to want to miss the outro as well. So, with that being said, guys, let's turn this over to the Part 4 series with Shane Parker and Paul Pateri. What did we miss on the dope Is there anything we're missing on that, like data-wise or, or stuff that you found that maybe was a little more interesting than, than uh, you previously had thought or any outlying uh, factors? Um, not, not really, no. I mean, I think we've pretty thoroughly covered it. The overall um, external travel importance by date is something that's very, very interesting here. And kind of how this scale goes up and then goes down and it spikes back up super, super hard. Um, this is something when – you, when you talk about overall extended travel – I'm sorry, external. I can't talk or can't read. External travel, not extended. External travel. What is this – what do you mean by that? Like that's, that statement? That's, that's travel – that's – Points outside of that are outside of the dough bedding, outside of the uh, primary scrape, and outside of the hub scrape. So that's mainly trails, trails between bedding, any any kind of trail that's not associated with a primary scrape or a hub scrape or a, a dough bedding. It could be it could be uh, a lot of these are trails to buck bedding because I didn't I didn't really I didn't I didn't focus a lot of my energy on on doing a lot of the buck bedding like getting into that area until this year that's where most all of my that is going to come from this that's going to be interesting bedding. yeah so yeah. you no know, with this when, when you had trail camera in these locations what do those some of these trails look like are they more faint trails or are these some faint trails so can you talk about the positioning of those trails compared to like some of the more major trails in those areas and like is there is there any commonality factors of you know them being below those more heavily used trails or above them or anything like that uh i've I, you you will get a lot of faint trails in that area because you get a lot of doe trails that are that are side healing, but they're but they're they're not in the steepest terrain. Like once you hit the steep terrain, the does are, you know, they're going they're they don't they don't mind, ex you know, because all they're doing is feeding. So if they get to a steep area, they'll just go straight up it. You know, so there you may get a side hill trail along a nice easy slope, and boom, it just goes straight up. Like it, fe- it feathers off and goes straight up, and that your does are going up to their bedding area. Most of your bucks are just kind of, you know, I, that's what I see. They side hill a lot, and it's just they're crisscrossing. 
the the doe the doe trails. So you'll and it's just faint. You know, it may may drop down here, it may may cross back up here. But the key thing that they all seem to do is hit those drainages. Like that is the I mean, if you're hunting in, in mountain and hill country, your drainages are that that's your starting point for all of your scouting. You know, swinging through, swinging through the bottom, up, bottom the tops. You know, any anywhere. It it kind of depends on what covers around them. Like I told, like I said earlier, there there's there's several of them on this one ridge system, and it plays out the same across the entire landscape. You can go into any other area that looks kind of like it, because because in that terrain, it, it's all. I mean, if you've seen one ridge system, the next one's going to look just like it, and the deer are going to interact the same way on it too. And if it's steep. And you got drainages coming in that steep area. They're going to be in that steepest part. Yep. The bucks are looking for an advantage yeah. when they're traveling. They're, they really want some kind of advantage. When you talk about them using the drainages, you're talking about them like kind of swinging up into them or swinging down into oh, they'll them. They'll walk right the middle of them. And, and yeah. So this yeah. is where I want to kind of bring it with the Chuck. Like we mentioned earlier, one of the episodes about Chuck Young and how he was hunting those drainages. And, and actually, I didn't think about it at the time, but I'm thinking about now. Mike, you mentioned the spot like, you're thinking that his scent's kind of going down one of those drainages. And the way he talks about it, he's trying to get that scent to pull. He's trying to find a, a big secondary ridge point in, down below him. And he wants his scent, he wants to be directly above it where his scent goes down onto that, that point, hopefully, and doesn't go off the drainage and those deer come up the drainages. I mean, if you're, if you're, I, if I, you're do, I think it does happen. If your thermals are fall, if your thermals are falling, they're not going down the spine of a secondary point. No, but it's not. It's not quite like that. It's not like a knife edge ridge. There's like a flat beneath him, and I I think it's going down. Especially if he's ground hunting, I don't think that it's necessarily getting sucked down into that drainage. I think that if he's got a nice flat and he's got a little bit of wiggle room before the drainages go down, I think that it can probably go and pull down there. So he's hunting at the top of the secondary? Yeah. Yeah, up he's above hunting it. above the secondary. Okay, and he's just expecting like a shelf. Like we talked about, he's talking about like hunting on a shelf versus like an actual secondary point like where it's... Say, like, say, 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 like he's talking bigger secondary points. Like say, because it's going to go to the lowest... I mean, that's just how thermals fall. They they just go to the lowest spot. So it's it's gonna it's yeah. gonna go down the where the corner meets, where the secondary point meets the main ridge, and it's gonna funnel down into the ditch, and then carry the ditch all the way down to the valley. I to, I, I think so, maybe, but I don't know. Like some well, of the, I think I think the buck is traversing over that flat because he can see down onto the flat. So when he's setting up there the bucks are going to be on his elevation where he's setting up just because the buck can get a visual advantage and look over that flat point below. If that makes any sense. We'll, we'll talk about it afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Cause I, I don't want to get you, so hard. Yeah. 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 But, but, but anyways, what, what I was trying to say is, uh, just the, the movement going up and down drainages and like when we go to up and down drainage, like every ridge point has a drainage on each side of it. And it's not like they're walking this up the middle of the drainage, like at the lowest point, but they're side hilling up those drainages going yeah. up in elevation. Yeah. yeah. And you're saying like that's just a hot spot to find oh, yeah. this buck si- or buck travel, travel. is yeah. in and around those drainages. Yeah, that seems to be your your their weak point. You know, like that is that is where you can you can at least that gives you the most advantageous location to to ambush one. You know. So tell me this: are are they always going up to the head in? From what you're seeing, are they cutting across through the middle of a drainage? Uh, that that like lower, if, that, if, if that top of one, top of the lower one third. Yeah. 
that same there like if if I could you know I didn't bring my drawing but if you could you know you can see I'm coming side healing up elevation coming down hitting that top that top of the lower one third going back up the net, the spine of the opposite so they're not going around the point they're just cutting up and down like basically half in the secondary point they're basically yeah, cutting across yeah, half yeah. of it yeah like you, you'll see a lot of like side healing up that you know they're gaining elevation gaining elevation and then down in the into the drainage and they may walk up the drainage or they may just cross the drainage and hit the spine and go back up. Yeah. Get the same, get on the same elevation again, and then go back. You know. Yeah, and if you walk, if you walk up the hill when you're scouting it, just walk up and pay attention to where you start seeing a lot more historical sign going parallel on the ridge. And when you start seeing that historical rub line going through there, it doesn't have to be fresh rubs; it's just scarred trees. But you all of a sudden you'll hit those lines where you see where the bucks are traveling across. And, and I think you know, as far as like daytime movement, like on those side hills, that 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 was where I had you know as much movement as I did at the hub scrape for daytime. Do you feel like one is more reliable than the other for like stand location and actually hunting? Yeah, like, the the side hill, the the steep, the steepest stuff you can get drainages in the steepest areas are are going to produce are going to give you the best the best opportunity because those I mean you can hunt the hubs but you've got to be strategic you know like it's almost like you're making a strategical strike to kill him on the hub you know and also I guess wind conditions wind conditions are just way more swirly you know squirrely in those areas that the hubs are in you know do you notice travel in these areas again so you know hunting around these these steeper faces where these bucks are really coming through because this area that we're talking about that we've been discussing is much more mountainous and 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 bigger terrain features than like flat of course flatland or even like rolling hill country um but it being more consistently, uh, or, or some more consistent option to hunt in and around those really steep faces, around those drainages, and around those you know points. Um, what have you noticed from like? Have you noticed anything about time of day coming through there? I mean, is it at all points time all of day? All points in time of day. Yeah. And with this data here on the just yeah. chart, talking overall uh, external travel, is this daylight, nighttime, yeah. or just no? It's daytime. Just this, daytime. This is skewed to daytime. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, this is skewed to daytime. Like, well, yeah. the daytime is skewed it out. Like, you're better off, you know. You know, you, you have way more opportunities on this overall if you look at it compared to um, any of the others. You know, cause those are very specific. This is like, you know, it, it runs a gamut, you know. So that that's just interesting. Again, so also, how do you think, or not? How do you think, based off all these you know, faint trails and where these bucks are, are are coming through? Did you notice things, anything, especially with your top end bucks or your your most mature bucks. most mature bucks that you also had consistent camera photos of? If you have any like that, because I know some probably are just like even in that acreage they're still there, but they just disappear. Did you notice a specific way they like to travel? Like in those areas compared to the other bucks that are out there, like yeah, the younger oh, yeah. bucks. Yeah, I mean, you know, they had specific trails along these steep side ridges and all that they would use. You know, like the probably the, the deer that I had the 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 most confidence that he was at least a five and a half or six and a half year old deer. Um, he would his mo was to was to crest ridge like like he would get on he would get on a ridge point and he'd walk around the end of the ridge point he may have been bedded up above the ridge point he would drop off to a certain elevation 
swing around the ridge point, hit a small saddle on it. And he did this all the time. He would, he would swing around behind him, behind his bedding area, hit the back of the little saddle, flip over, not in the saddle, and hit a drainage, the top of the drainage on the other side, and then swing side heel into another bedding area. Like, that's where I've got picked out that yep. that he, he I would. I can picture yeah, that yeah. perfectly in my head how he's yeah. doing that. Like, I had him after the season. I'm like, I could have killed him there probably 10 times, you know. Because that that was his that was his mo of doing that and and it, and if you looked at a few other bucks like that, they would do almost the same thing. Like the, it it may be on a different scale, but they were kind of doing the same, the same kind of thing. Like he would he I know he was coming up to that bed in the morning and that was his early early morning bed, and almost killed him one time. Yeah, once you get a, a grasp of it, you can literally look at any train and be like, that's where the big box is going to be coming through. You just look at it and you're like, you just know. It's like you get this gut feeling. He's like, he's going to come this way if he's coming through here. You know, they're, they're so predictable because they're just, it's it's funny how predictable they actually are. It's amazing people can't figure that out and shoot them, but hopefully this will help people figure that out. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's 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 not easy, you know. But I mean, I don't have a ton of you know Pope and Young bucks hanging on my wall or anything like that. So I, I have, but after doing this and after all the information I've got, I feel much more confident that I've kind of not not broken the code, but just you know learned a lot more than I knew before. But yeah, as far as terrain goes, you you, you know that that kind of compounding steep really rugged terrain if you're after a really mature buck and you're in um hilly terrain or mountainous terrain that that's you you've got to locate you you got to locate a place that not only does he want to go but the main thing is he has to like he's it's a place he's got to he can't he can't avoid if he's going to get to safety if he's going to you know because his second bed in the morning I feel like that's your best opportunity because deer move. The, the, I don't. I don't care what GPS data says. I, I know that it it says the same thing that they're moving during the day, and my data says the same thing. Like, and so you've just got to put yourself in that position um, of of getting that second bed. That, I think that is that is one of the keys to killing a mature buck. Is is that is that move from the first bed to the second bed. And I think Paul uh -huh. will agree. No, I totally agree. It's the hardest part is finding a big buck in that five and a half, six and a half, seven and a half, eight and a half year old range. But once you know where he is, it's actually pretty easy to predict where he's going to be. Yeah. It's just getting all the conditions to line up, you know. I want to ask you something. So, so talk about this this buck movement. When you're talking like steep faces and stuff, is like a, a, like that kind of feature is something that you can almost guarantee like a big buck's going to be side hilling around because it's the steepest, nastiest face. Have you noticed anything about whether it's a smaller area that's maybe only like 50 to 100 yards in length that's really steep versus an area that's half a mile long? Do you notice any correlation between like the more steepness you have and the longer distance you have? the more that buck's going to hug that compared to areas where it's like that for just for, you know, a couple yeah, hundred yards. The, and it the stops. smaller areas are easier to confine them into the larger areas. They're going to kind of avoid cause they're going to be more exposed for a longer uh -huh. period of time, you know? 
Yeah, I always look for something that's going to choke them out along that route. Yeah. So you know, short get and sweet, compact area. Shot. You know. Yeah. yeah. If you can get them into that steep terrain in a compact area, you know, coming coming out of a bed into a going into another bed, you know that that's 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 kind of seems to be the weak point. And I mean, my camera data kind of told that out because once I found it, I was like, I'm seeing them just, you know, like this mature buck is is here, like, you know, he's coming through here all the time. Yeah, and that's you know. when I find a big buck, I'll spend days in one spot just looking over everything trying to find the perfect way to set up on that deer so i don't get screwed up you know that uh, it's just you scout real hard find them and then really tighten down your your situation like you're where you're planning to get them you know you really got to tighten that space down and really work on it and then once you get that figured out you can take that and you can mentally repeat that to other places and just keep doing it over and over and over. And you could, you could take any piece of public you want and get into that and figure them out. One thing I'm, I'm just, I'm still very curious with when we're looking at this specific chart, talking about the, uh, ex, uh, external, um, travel is the just that that spike of movement and what it looks like did it seem pretty consistent like you're getting like specific bucks on multiple trail cams like doing that path because that's one thing i'm very curious is is, this is probably the advantage of course running more cameras which again most people think like oh that's obvious but when you're doing it in a very strategic fashion where you're like targeting these travel corridors but also getting back to one of those train features that you know talking like some of these saddles where he may he's going up and around the top of it coming back off the other side, work around the other side of the ridge, going up to that, that secondary bed. Um, it's like putting that whole piece of the puzzle together of like that buck move. It's just like super, super fascinating. Have you learned anything spe- specifically about this uh, aspect of the study that like, again, caught your attention or you found that there was maybe more fascinating or something that you really didn't really think of previously that kind of makes more sense now after looking at it? There's one, there's a, there's a terrain feature that I found. Uh, that I I wouldn't say I had ignored. I just it never really like stuck out into my mind, and, and I've I've called it a drawbridge. Uh, it's basically where a couple of draws, maybe three, come together, and and that's it, only in certain terrain. But it's like when these draws kind of come up, they push the they push the earth up on this ridge, and they make a hump, and they may make a hump right at the like, that kind of connects the two draws together, and it's not like most draws just go up and they kind of just head up and they just kind of end on the, on the facing and it may just make a, you know, a bowl, but these kind of push the earth up when they meet and they make a little round knoll. And I found that kind of early on putting these out in the summer, last summer, I found a spot that had, you know, a lot of buck sign in it and it was, it, you know, it's tracks and stuff like that. And I, it's just anomaly. And then I started finding a couple more of them in different places, and I started kind of kind of keying in on that as far as, like, putting uh, trail cameras in. And they're always at the head of steep, really steep uh, draws. And, I mean, if you want to find bucks kind of staging out, look for those kind of areas. I, 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 it, I wish I had a visual of it to show you because it, it, it's just a unique feature, but what, but they're in, you know, it's not like they're just in my area. I've, I found them in other areas too. And yeah, I know exactly what you're talking it's about. It's just a unique feature, but once you find it, 
um, I mean, it, it's like it, it's it, it's almost like a light bulb will go off. Gosh, you know this this is why I'm seeing this. And you don't. It's something if you're just walking through the woods and and not scouting strategically, you you just pass it by. You know. But that seems to be for some reason just one of the the little um, compounding terrain features that you can kind of put in together that kind of works as a puzzle of how they interact. And I think that's another interaction zone. So yeah, that's, it gives them an advantage point. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and I see a lot of bu- I found a lot of buck bedding in that on those little points, like in the in the top of those drainages where they make the little the little hump. It'll just be a, a piece of 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 earth that's kind of rounded up, and it just sets at the top of like a couple of draws. And they love to bed in that. I can show it to you on a on a topo map, and and you'd be like, well, that just looks like a draw. But when you walk out and look at it, yeah, you know, and 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 Cal Topo has helped me find those more than anything, you know. Uh, are you using that as well with slope angle shading? Yes. And, uh, oh, yeah. Do they pop a little bit easier? Yeah, like, yeah, hmm. yeah. I've I've turned it on Onyx too, and I I use it on Onyx as well too. It, you know, but on Cal Topo, it just seems to just stick out more you know it just it's a little yeah, more accurate you set those lines to like 10 foot, 10 foot whatever yeah. it is oh yeah and then you yeah. can see them yeah. you just see like a little bump yeah like a little, just yeah little when you do it on that you just look for that little hump and i mean it's, it's like oh man I, I see that now you know and well i want to go investigate that you now, know now are those spots huntable or is that something that you just it's a good spot to locate the deer and they i try guess to- it just depends on where it is mm. you know and how your access and all that is to it but it, it seems to be a place that i've caught bucks that like I, I put a camera on a couple of them and i'd catch the buck and he would just kind of hang out there like i'd get a picture of him he might be there for 15 or 20 minutes like just kind of just hanging around, you know. And I, I got a one, I got one, one of them that I found, and I, uh, I mean, I could, I saw he passed through uh, on this drainage, and then he passed back through like twenty minutes later, and I, I was like, well, where did he go, you know? Yeah, I got a camera on one of those on a big hub scrape right now. I got to pull the card in a couple of days. <laughs> but he, he, he passed. Pulling that one. He he passed back through, and then. I didn't. I didn't see him again. And then on the camera, when I pulled the card again the next time, um, he did the same thing. Like he passed through, come back through, and he passed back. Well, then I, I finally put a camera right on that little hub, on that little hump. That's where he was bedding at. He was bedding, and it was like rocky, and he was just bedding in between those rocks. And I mean, that was just that. I mean, daytime bedding, like just sitting up in that, in that little hub, looking down both of those drainages. Yeah, it's his little little perch. Yeah, he's got a little visual advantage. You can see everything up over the, the shit on the ground. You know. Yeah, I've got a spot yeah. in Arkansas that says exactly like what we're talking yeah. about here. So that's yeah. super interesting. Yeah. yeah, if you can find those little, you know, that's a little topographical anomaly. If you can find that, man, it, don't, don't overlook it. You know, that's one of the things that I've, you know, in in all this, it's been like, man, I'm I'm gonna start paying attention a lot yeah. more attention to that. You now, know. Now I I want. Yeah. Oh, Paul, what you got? Uh, I was gonna say it's the same same thing. Like if you're on low flat ground, you know, a little little levee or something, you know, basically mm-hmm. the same kind of thing. Yeah. Or if you're in a marsh, it's like sitting sitting on top of a muskrat mound or something that they're bedding on top of, just like a little little bump where they could just sit and they could see like they were standing. Any any kind of little ride if you're in the mountains like that, any kind of something that gets them. A, a, yeah. you know above and, and i'm not saying like 
on a ridge top on the very top, but anything that gets them above an elevation a little bit, that they're going to seek that out for some reason. You know, it's just yeah, it's just little, something little that, bump yeah. in the laurel. Yeah, laurel patch. If you get a laurel patch and you get a little knoll in the laurel patch, they'll sit up on that knoll and they can see right across the top of the laurel. Now, guys, I, I want to kind of get to, and then we can get to a point of wrapping this up because again, we're dropping this as real, multiple episodes. Real quick, oh, before oh. before we do the the moon stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, which we already kind of covered a little bit, but uh, the on the overall external travel thing, um, when you look at this graph, you said your rut's late November, isn't it? Just like a quick note that I just kind of find interesting is right around that rut time frame, it's like a staircase. It, it kind of abruptly rises up, um, and then it kind of peaks, like right there around, I guess, what is your peak rut? November 23rd through 27th? Uh, roughly in there, and then it kind of falls off, and it gets in, ends up getting really low, and then about that twenty eight days later, you've got a v- super abrupt spike in that chart yeah, where that little seven to seven five. Yeah. yeah, they're they're coming back into I guess there's those cycling back into estrus. Uh, is that something that you see a lot? Where that twenty eight days later, you see just like a very abrupt, very like strong wave of dome or uh, just buck movement in general yeah yeah i mean i did uh, and, and i attributed that to desperation <laughs> like it's literally i think that's what it is it's just oh the rut's over and i'm desperate like i'm mm-hmm. gonna mm-hmm. go anywhere i can and move i'm gonna check every crevice yeah you know? it's kind of like you think about it and it's like if if there's like i'm assuming what that is because this this says uh december 14th through 17th yeah. it's actually the highest peak on the whole thing yeah and that yeah. that's right there, pretty much perfect in that twenty-eight day cycle from yeah. those first does that ought to come into heat. Yeah. It's about twenty-eight days later, so if they didn't get bred, they'll come back in. Yeah. And it's almost like I wonder if there's just a couple does that come back in, and then all of a sudden, I mean, I'm sure all the deer know that. I mean, it probably changes the way the bucks smell. They're probably yeah. working scrapes more. Well, the does are acting different, and then all of a sudden they're like, "Oh, it's on again." Well, you know? th- this right here, here's the interesting thing, and we kind of talked about that before. Is this is coming off of our second group second strain of does mm-hmm. that have went into and just came out of estrus because mm-hmm. we have a, a second strain in this area that that starts usually the 10th of december maybe then well i'll take that back usually between the 7th and the 13th so this is just after that so that's once that's ended uh-huh so you get like a second what you're yeah. like Right yeah. on a border. Yeah. You know, the, if you look at the, I'm, I'm looking at these, uh, both the hub scrape, the doe bedding, and primary scrape charts. Uh, I was specifically looking at the weeks of uh, December 10th through December 17th. And there's no real spike there specifically, but there's spike in just overall extended movement. travel. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Which is like, so it's, it's not searching. It's not like, yeah. well, that, but he's not searching necessarily where those other does are at. So yeah. he. He's not visiting he's scrapes going, yeah. anymore. He's just going he's and just trying to going. cut. He's trying just to cutting cut trails. He's just cutting yeah. trails, and he's not yeah. like cutting doe bedding either. Because again, yeah. there's yep. not there's not a spike in doe bedding through yeah. that time. Yeah, so. desperation. Yes, yeah, just desperation time. I'm just walking over. He's all like, over. man, just yeah. one more. That's what big boys are killed. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think that is you know like you can that a lot of people miss that. I think that is with you know if you back this out, I guarantee if you went to South Alabama where the rut was in January, you know. You're going to see the, probably the same thing. You know, it's just going to be moved down. You know, I think you can apply this travel. You just you just look at at at, at when your rut is and and kind of time it out to that. Uh, you know, yeah. For me, that second one falls right like days before the gun season starts. So that usually just 
gets shut right down as soon as it happens it's done yeah yeah and I, I think a lot of it has to do with the pressure just influx like crazy at that point in time for me and it shuts it down yeah and see one thing i'm curious especially uh like one of the areas that we hunt like i definitely have seen like a hard secondary rut um with like really nice bucks i mean i mean pushing does and just came very very close. a lot of big bucks get killed a lot of big yeah. bucks get killed that time like too. a big big buck but but it's like it seems like those deer are covering the most ground possible because yeah. again you know it's an area that does have a lot of does but it's also one of those areas that has a decent amount of bucks too just like yeah they're they're still trying to find what is that last doe who's yeah. coming oh, back yeah. in the heat yeah. at that point yeah and uh, and when they find them they're yeah. all over them yeah because it's like oh this is the last this is this is the finality of it so i've got to do all i can when i can you know and it's, and all, that's also like where i was with that that happened that was in 2020 that doe or it was a three does and a doe fawn it was two nice bucks and i was actually surprised i didn't see them spar but they were definitely like competing for this one doe like in this cutover uh, i mean very aggressively going after her uh, and both being very very nice deer Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spurmaster and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls. And it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spurmaster call and Success Call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com. Use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So I want to get over and talk about Moon Phase here. This is our last, uh, I believe this is our last document, or our last chart here. So it's Moon Phase uh, relation to daytime travel. Now I feel like this is when old Michael Pike shines here, okay? Because like every time, you, anyone that's ever heard Michael on the podcast, I mean, this comes up. As full in, moon and right after it. Yep. So, and if you look at the kind of chart, kind of like that spike of movement, yeah, it's full moon and, and new moon uh, specifically. Is, and then also, like you said, that uh, was the, the waning fall in both of them. Yep, absolutely. Uh, actually, Cl- yeah, Clay Harper, if you're listening to this, you just take notes, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about this because this is super, super interesting. I mean, you know, you hear about uh, moon phase all the time. And like Mike had mentioned previously in this episode or one of the other previous episodes about people talk about moon phase and sometimes they don't necessarily mean moon phase. They mean positioning of the moon, overhead, underfoot, that kind of stuff, which has nothing to do necessarily with the moon phase. It's where that moon's currently at. 
Moon phase, though, is something that's kind of interesting. And, and again, you know, I'm still learning, but it's a fascinating topic. And some people are diehard believers in moon phase. Other people, like, they're like, oh, it's, it's, they're a Clay Harbor. Yeah, it's Clay Harbor. You know, they're a Georgia boy that just don't care. No, I'm just <laughs> joking, Clay. Come on now. Um, what let's talk about some of this stuff because this is kind of interesting. So you have everything broken out. It's percentages of daylight travel by moon phase. And guys, again, you go on social media, you can find this. We'll have it posted so you can see it. Um, and it goes through all the different phases of the moon. It goes from a zero to a thirty point scale. So uh, Shane, can we kind of talk through this a little bit and, and show what the data is, and then we'll kind of break down the data. You start out with a waning crescent, which had twelve percent of the daytime travel by moon phase. Uh, the waxing crescent was six percent. Uh, your first quarter was 3%. Your waxing gibbous was 5 Full moon represented 27% of the daytime travel. Uh, the waning gibbous was 16 Last quarter was 8 and a new moon per- gave you 23%. So you want to hunt full moon and new moon. Now, also, is this all deer movement or buck movement? This is buck movement, daytime only. Even better. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's yeah. awesome. Holy cow. All right, Mike. Mike has calendar pulled up. He's looking at some dates real quick. This is funny, too, yeah. because growing up, everyone was like, man, it's a full moon. The, the full moon is the hunter's enemy. It's going to be bad well, on a full moon. That's that's what I heard growing up. And you want to hunt a new moon because they're not moving at night because it's dark, and so they're going to be moving all morning. Yeah. See, I, I, was, I, was, I, I, I heard that, too, but I also had a, had had my mentor was like, they're new, a full moon, they're, meeting, they're feeding longer. At night, because there's much more day, there's much more moonlight, and so they're they're apt to stay out all night, and yeah, they're going to be moving back into bedding areas during the day because they've been out feeding all night. So yeah, I don't know if I've told this on a story on the podcast before, but I I tried to pay attention to the moon for like a couple like years when like my developmental years when I was like really trying to figure stuff out, and uh, I, I had been told what I just said, and then I had these like two or three days in the rut one year and it was the best it's still the best days of hunting i've ever had outside of like wyoming mule deer as far as seeing deer i mean i'm hunting in like a big wood settings and i saw like 22 deer one day and 19 deer the next day i saw like eight different bucks and it was on full moons and i was like man i, I thought full moons were terrible <laughs> and so then that's that's what got me questioning the whole everything i knew about the moon and then i just kind of quit paying attention to it and now we got michael who pays a lot of attention to yeah. it. Well, so last year we, we headed up to Missouri and it was the end of October and we stayed through like the first week of November and we got up there and I, I told Clay that I thought that we we're going to be catching some good movement because from what I've noticed is the week after the full moon, especially like probably, I don't know, two to three days on the other side of exactly like when it's full moon, you really get a lot of movement back to bed and then early uh, movement from bed to feed. And we got up there, we were seeing all kinds of deer. And then all of a sudden it started getting less and less. And we initially didn't know if it, if the rain had a factor in it, but I knew in the back of my head from what I've seen that usually you get that flurry of movement back to bed and it's really magnified when that overhead underfoot is like that, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, all the way up until about eight o'clock. And normally after that, I usually don't don't see much. Usually they're already back in bed. And if if that's their typical feed time, like around like say like eight o'clock in the morning, 
it'll be like last year. Last year, um, towards the tail end of our hunt, or about halfway through it, we noticed I was on deer, and I was in the bedding area, and I was probably only about 75 yards from the bedding area um, where I actually jumped them up. And what was happening is they were coming back from ag, and they were actually chasing in the thicket, um, I would say probably 30 minutes before daylight, chasing all the way back into the bedding area. Um, they almost ran over me one time, and I actually had to turn my flashlight on to make sure they weren't going to run over me. <laughs> like they, I was right on a trail, and they split off of the trail right before they got to me. I turned that flashlight on just because I was like, I didn't know if it was going to be a big buck like running freaking yeah, bore me yeah. over. Yeah. Mike, Mike yeah. wasn't about to wrestle a big buck in, in, in the dark, but yeah. So anyways, um, but that's what I noticed it is – by that time, which we're about a week out, you know, after the full moon, they're already getting back to bed before daylight. They'd already done their feeding, and, you know, the, you you couldn't have killed them unless you, you would have been right on top of them, you know, exactly where they were bedding at. So I really like that, you know, from the full moon till about a week out. And that's like Bill, that's what Bill Vale talked. Was it Bill that talked about that a decent amount with you and me? Did we even drop that episode? We did one about the lunar, and it was like, or did we talk about doing one and we never did it? Because he was talking about that window. It's like eight days, like four before, three after, or something like that. Between, I know we talked about it, but I don't know if we were. I don't we know were, if it was an episode. Yeah, the only one that they didn't get was the one the video kept messing up okay yeah yeah yeah. and that but was just i think that was the one we talked about though and it just it wasn't working uh anyways not, not to get sidetracked yeah. but th- that that was kind of an interesting factor because you see the huge flurry movement at least when y'all were there and they kind of waned yeah, and, and, i mean we were seeing them out there well before you know dark and well after like when when we first got there it was like that misty rain and they were up there in the middle of the day feeding and we saw bucks in the woods, and I said, I think it's already going on, Clay. I said, I think we're we're right in the middle of it right now. And it it was, and after after that, it just tailed off more and more and more. And um, it, he actually, we actually ended up getting so frustrated because we we couldn't catch them out of the bedding area during daylight hours that he thought it'd be best to go to Tennessee. And I remember when y'all were there, a, dude. Yeah. I remember when y'all first got there and y'all had those encounters. I'm like, man, they're about to lay them down. And yeah. then, and we just didn't hear anything for like four days. I was like, well, I guess not. So he's already asked me when we should go back this year. And I said, well, based on the moon, it's either this time or this time. And he's like, well, we might give it a shot, I guess. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. And the, when you're talking about they like the bucks and everything in those doe bedding areas, and I don't know how big those doe bedding areas are, but it kind of goes what you're saying, Shane. These bucks are in there all day long, so if you can't if you can't get in or like in that vicinity where you're between two of them, where they're cut across, you're probably not going to see them, right? Like if they're in there, like specifically yeah. in their bigger areas that they're covering, it's not like a little one acre, two acre little bedding spot. Yeah. By the time I made it back to the the in between spot between bedding bedding areas. There was a guy who walked in on me, and uh, he was he was lugging a tree stand in there for the gun hunt that was going to be going on the next week. And, I mean, he just stomped the whole place out, and I never went back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, as far as the moon phase stuff is, it seemed like the couple days prior to the full moon, 
in the couple days after. Like there was that window right there. It's like, like you said, four and three. It was like a seven day window right there where it really kicked up, you know. And surprising to me, I mean, like the the the, um, I guess it's the the waning gibbous afterwards. I mean, that was a big, you know, like the the come off of it. Uh, that that was right there with it. I mean, you get sixteen percent of your your daytime movement right right in that area. You know, and it all it all lines up. If you look at everything, I mean, it's it's hard to deny it. You know. It, so it, was there a certain time of day on on like a full moon uh, or a new moon cycle where you're getting this big spike of movement? Is it just all day, or is it a certain time of day? Uh, I would if if breaking it down just just the little bit that I did on it, I would say you got to look at that overhead, that that directly overhead. Um, is is got more to do with with the timing of the movement. Okay. If that makes sense, and that's something we've we've talked about that directly overhead, directly underfoot. Uh, it didn't matter, you know, as far as daytime movement. That, that kind of correlates. If, if it's not in the right moon phase, that overhead and underfoot is is got a lot more to do with that. Just kicking off that 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 daytime movement. So you're so you're in one of these cycles. cycles. You're in a new moon or a full moon, and you're looking and you're like, okay. Overhead is at 11 a.m. Yeah. You need to be in the stand, stand like 10 to 2. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Sorry, yeah. I cut you off. No, no, no. I'm, I'm glad you answered. Paul, what's your take on this? Because, you know, again, not necessarily you don't have the study aspect, but you hunt a crap ton, uh, you know, every single year. What is your take on the moon phases, too, and kind of that activity, especially in your, your neck of the woods? I definitely see, like, movement spikes throughout the month going up and down but i honestly do not pay too much attention to the moon itself but i think there probably is something going on with the moon if i would go back and really look at the dates where it's happening from what i've seen in in my experience is that if it happens when the around the rut when it normally happens it greatly greatly enhances it yeah Mm -hmm. if if it's off cycle i i I want to say this this was pretty much on cycle it was really close right and, and that's why there was such a spike in movement uh, really you know? close what do you what, what do you mean like if, if it's really close to like the full moon over or overhead or, or under yeah well the the full moon new moon if it lines up with with your your rut because a lot sometimes it just doesn't i mean it, it's it's kind of a cycle where it, it changes you know uh, th- there's no way that the full moon New moon has anything to do with when they rut, when the when the does are coming in estrus. I think it only increases the movement if it is lined up. If you get it lined up perfectly, you're probably going to have a a big spike in movement. Like it may be a lot more daytime movement, which is why I think a lot of people will say, "Well, this year's rut was off." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it yeah. it it may have been a a week different just because I just this is my own personal opinion opinion if you're going to have a full moon a week before where when your rut typically happens that rut's going to be a week before you know you typically see it and it's going to carry through that time frame if it's going to be that close in my opinion yeah i'm curious when when we're talking rut whether it's just bucks on their feet cruising and actually getting those or actually the breeding happening because i've heard from the flip side from different studies where they've done like fetal 
measurements and it's like consistent every single year yeah. but the spike of activity, activity. could be different because if yeah. you're just trying to shoot a the deer daylight activity the daylight yeah. activity yeah, yeah. yeah. I that's think, all I we think care the, about the, yeah. obviously by, by, by what i'm seeing the breeding time doesn't change yeah. like it's staying you know i'm seeing them bred this you know this is three years of 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 really tracking the fawns and they're being they're being born the same three or four day span every year but i think what's perceived is it, it may be a, the moon's off off kilter a little bit, you know, not on. The, it, it's a week early, and you get this huge spike in buck movement, yep. and and people are like, "Well, the rut's on," you know. No, they're they're just they're just really getting ramped up, you know. Like the moon just hit perfectly for them to be out searching. Yeah, you know? yeah. It, it, when I say the rut is is happening it's, a week it, early, it's I'm, the, I'm talking about like if you're out there during the week that the rut is supposed to be going on. You're probably not going to see anything because they're going yeah. to be in the bed. bed. Yeah, which is what happened to you in Missouri, right? Like right. you were, yeah. like you, they're not coming out of the bedding area. Right, they yeah. were they're there. Just, I knew yeah. where they were, and I could yeah. hear them coming back before daylight. Yeah, and yeah, but I mean, I mean you're not going to see them out like they were. They're not know, the places that we typically before. hunt them, right. basically. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's yeah. where I want to mention, like when we're talking the rut, it's like that rutting activity moving, not necessarily the breeding. Breeding is going to stay pretty consistent. It's just like whether or not you see the deer, because like yeah, the rut was bad. You know, like you said, if we're, if we're what we're seeing here in this study is that you know the moon phases contribute to excess of movement uh, by looks like a lot, especially when you're talking about full moon and the waning uh, gibbous. Um, that time period right there, you know, that's interesting. Is like you know correlating like hunting around that if you can, uh, and like that overall like bucks really cruising seeking, especially you know based off the study. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think you'd want to you'd want to light it up a little earlier because that's going to get that's going to give you an extended period of time of buck movement, which is kind of what happened this year. I think if you got it directly on it, they're probably going to be locked down somewhere, especially if your rut is very compacted. You know, it's going to fall, and you may you may think, well, we didn't have a rut. You know, I didn't see anything. Well, it happened, and that's you when know. you hear probably most people when yeah. they say you you had a trickle True. rut. Yeah, yeah. You know, where you, yeah. whereas opposed to this really classic rut, you mm-hmm. know, where it's just the that full moon and everything, the breeding dates, it all lines up the same it's time. Just wide open, wide open. Yeah. Whereas I like those ruts. Whereas the other is just kind of it's good, but it's yeah. flat and it's not anything exceptional. Yeah. I think when it trickles too, I think it also has to do with the mass crops a little bit too. Cause I do see, I see that like last year, the area where I had all that action in Pennsylvania in the year before, it was completely dead up there. And I didn't have any acorns or anything. And it was like really, it really messed the way the deer were doing everything. So that's why I went to that spot. I was hunting in Jersey last year. Cause I went there and it was like raining acorns and it wasn't acorns anywhere else for miles that were dropping. So when I got into that spot, it like was like the rut was on, but a lot of people were like, I'm not seeing any rut going on, but I was seeing deer every day. And I think it was just a, it was just more condensed food source or something too. So it's, you got to pay attention to, I think everything it's, it's like everything, it's all combined, you know, everything's got a part in it. Yeah. And that, like, and having a balanced herd too, like that, that, that makes a big difference is, is having that one to one or one to, you know, two to one. I mean, that's going to, that's going to make your rut look a lot better than if it's five to one or 15 to one for sure. Yeah. But like, 
like I was saying, I, I don't really pay attention to the moon. I'm not looking at what it is every night. But at the same time, I'm hunting every single day and I can see the waves. Like all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, I didn't see too many deer tonight. The next night, okay, it's picking up, picking up. I'm like, okay, in three or four days, it's going to be going really good again. And then it peters off and then it comes back up. And like, I, I think I'm looking at some of that moon cycle without even realizing what I'm looking at. Yeah, I think a lot of people do that. Also something to take a note in here. I think a lot of people, when they think of uh, moon phase, they think of automatically the rut. This wasn't just during the rut. This is 90 days. 90 days yeah. So October, November, December, like this yeah, is the same factor what you're, what, you're, yeah. what you're playing out. Yeah. So uh, I want to ask you, Mike, if you're, again, if you're going to go hunt a place like you're going to Missouri, was this something that you'd pay more attention to if you're going to go out of state and you're going to spend five, six, seven days hunting a place? Is this something that you're taking into consideration of timing of when you're going to go out there? Oh yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you'd 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 be foolish not to. You know, I mean, there's just there, just as there's too many. You know, there's a lot of people who say it's hogwash. You know, but there's a lot of people who, you know, I mean, they wouldn't print feeding times if that didn't have something to do with it. Yeah. You know, like there's a reason for it. You now, know, I prefer the week after the full moon like from the full moon to the week after but um if i mean if i have a new moon and you know the what is it the waning crescent um that that also or is it is that right yeah the waning crescent waning gibbous right behind the waning gibbous okay yeah yeah. uh the waning gibbous um i'm gonna hunt that too I mean, those are my those are my two favorite weeks. Like the other ones, I could care less if I'm out in the woods. What's that? Oh my god! I gotta go listen to some older episodes. Uh, the uh, oh my gosh, um, Bill Vale. Didn't he talk about like he knows the weeks of the of each month he's gonna hunt? Like he calls it like the golden days when we were talking about his calendar. I don't know if you remember that far back. We need to pull up his calendar because we, we, we got an email. Yeah, and, but he's like he times. He's like I only hunt. Like these ten days out of the whole month, he's like, because he was talking about his job and everything. Like he's like, I can't hunt every single day, so he's like, I'm gonna take time. I'm gonna hunt these ten days, and that's what he preaches is that aspect. Like you know, those ten days, which falls in line with what we're talking about here. I guarantee we're gonna hear from uh, uh, Michael Yates. He's gonna reach out to us. That's a guarantee. (laughs) guarantee. Like you can still hunt those other days. It's just a change in your strategy on how you're gonna have to do it. Yeah, because of what you're gonna see in movement. So you're gonna have to adjust yourself i'll definitely be yeah, over bedding areas during those during those off times um yeah just because the deer are not going to be going as far so i would be finding you know scrapes or some kind of food source very very close to bedding uh or either be smack dab in the bedding and sometimes that could be really good too if you're trying to target an individual deer you know because he's gonna be where you want him to be you know so you gotta you gotta play kind of all the all the cards out and I think I think that's the best thing to do is to be completely rounded on something like that, so you can capitalize on everything we're talking about. But then you can go out whenever you want and just shoot one. Real quick, guys, uh, Shane, I've got a question on this with with the moon phase. Have you correlated this at all in regards to scrape activity? Uh, not really. Okay, I'm yeah, just. I mean, I've, I've always mean, heard of like you read magazine articles about like oh full moon and going to hunt the scrapes or new. I've heard yeah. like I've seen articles about it, read yeah. about it, and stuff. It's I'm, like. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, I mean, we could do it right here. I mean, you can look at the primary scrapes and look at the, 
the oh yeah, we just look at the calendar. Yes, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I kind of I, I'm before I did this, I kind of did a calendar, and um, I can look at it right here well, and tell you. I know uh, you, were, Mike, you were writing down all kinds of freaking. I don't the, know if it was the, the primary scrapes lit up on the days that you had a new moon. It lit, and, and you kind of did. Right. Kind of delved that we, out too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Cool. Well, let, let me ask. Uh, does anybody or Shane? Do you have anything else on moon phase? It's kind of getting a point here to actually wrapping wrapping up. Mm-hmm. I don't, Nothing. I don't think so. Good. Yeah. I, I got a. Good. I got one last question, Shane. Like, mm-hmm. especially based off all these different charts and everything that we got, all the data that you've been gathering over the last couple of years with trail cameras. If you were just going to name like your just jam up day, where like. I'm gonna go kill a deer this day. What would it be as far as you know, temperature, dew point, moon phase? Oh, oh like if all like that the, the conditions. Yeah, the conditions that you yeah. really, really like to hunt, where you oh, have man. a really good feeling. Based about off the it. data and I everything mean, else. Based off the data, gosh, I would want a a foggy foggy day with a low in the upper thirties. Uh, I would want to hunt lower in elevation, creek, creek bottoms, something like that. And I would want to hunt. Um, I would want to hunt some sort of transition between uh, doe bedding, like a low point between doe bedding and 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 buck bedding, like just a transition point close to doe bedding, but lower. You know, somewhere where they're feeding at at night. Just just based off all of my information. Yeah, I'd want to. I'd want to. I'd want to. I'd want to try to pinpoint an area between. Where, where the does are going back to bedding, and he's trying to intersect them going to bedding, low down. You going to do that this year? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Definitely. I got a few days that I've already, like, I mean, three or four days that over the past three years, it's like this: that these bucks are in the same spot, the same time, the same conditions are kind of playing out, and it's just historical, like they don't change, you know. Like I, I, like I said, I, I kind of told you something earlier. It's clear and calm. I'm going to hunt – for that second bed i'm going to find a buck and i'm going to get on his where i think he's going to do his second bed when it's clear and calm those clear calm pretty mornings if it's wet and windy i'm going to hunt his bedding on an on an ex- exit point of his bed of his bed you know an exit point like really close on those wet and windy days um and if it's a, a stormy day i'm going to get in, in an air like stormy rainy night I'm gonna get between where I think he's coming to and to his bed. If if you're hunting a specific buck, that seems to be after you know the the three takeaways of of how weather conditions could affect how you hunt. That that would be my three takeaways. But if I had a perfect day, it would be a I'm hunting low. I'm gonna get a, a, a drizzly day sometime in the in the end of November, the last week in November, and I'm gonna hunt where the does are feeding and going back to bed and try to intercept him somewhere like that. So Awesome. Awesome. Well, guys, I appreciate everybody joining us. Paul, thank you for hanging on with us, dude, because you're an hour ahead of us, so God bless you. Oh, uh, yeah. 
Oh, oh yeah, twelve thirty a.m. in yeah. Jersey. Paul, you dedicated. I don't my even man. know what time it is. I don't even need to know. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, listen, man, it's only like ten o'clock. It's fine. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Paul, All right, Paul, we appreciate you joining us. Shane, thanks again for coming Thank on. Thank you for having me and uh, and doing this episode. And also, Michael Pike is good to have you back, bro. Yeah, man, it's good to and have you back. Dilla's back in the studio, uh, the new studio, new and improved. Yep, but uh, the one farther away. Yeah, oh, yeah. every That's, single time you move, it's farther away. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> But uh, appreciate everybody listening to the podcast. Uh, appreciate everybody joining us for this little series here. Before completely wrapping up, does anybody have any final words, thoughts, things you want to put out there after you know people's heard our voices for the last few weeks? I got nothing, man. Y'all stay southern. All right, <laughs> beautiful. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at... Uh, 30 and 50 and then I switched to the true lock and changed from 30 to 50 and the 50 yard pattern on my gun with the true lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with Mike and Sam we were all super impressed I mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and Andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option. Same chokes I have in my shotgun. So, guys, if you want to give True Lock a shot this spring, you can head over to truelockchokes.com. That's T R U L O C K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give True Lock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun, and shoot with a more deadly pattern with True Lock. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I hope you enjoyed this uh, four-part series that we just now wrapped up. I uh, got a lot of great feedback on it. We're really excited to put this out. And, hey, we're here at the end of September now. I know a lot of you guys are already deer hunting. I know some of you guys are just getting geared up, ready to rock. And I hope that this gets you fired up and ready to go out there and just make it freaking happen this year. Jacob, how are you doing? How did you like this series? Dude, it's been absolutely incredible. Again, I thoroughly enjoyed it. The feedback's been awesome. But also, I'm excited to see listener success stories coming from this this series along with some of oh, our yeah. other episodes. So, guys, listen. If, Dude, I'm giving it two weeks. We're getting one within two weeks. So, Come on, y'all. So, listen, if you guys go out and implement tips, tactics, and strategies you've learned from the podcast from different guests, shoot us a message on Facebook or Instagram or shoot us an email this titled listener success story and we want to hear about your success whether it's you shooting a doe whether it's you shooting a buck whether it's you shooting your first year your biggest year whatever if you've used tips and tactics from the podcast let us know because guess what each month starting in the month of october in september listener success stories will roll into october we're gonna do monthly giveaways with onyx memberships onyx elite memberships uh, where we're going to be giving away at least one of those per month to listener success stories so guys whether you shot a doe whatever as long as it's been you're using tips and tactics from the podcast you got an interesting story shoot us a message you'll go into that drawing and potentially be interviewed for a bonus episode for the southern outdoorsman each and every month so again appreciate the support guys i really want to see some of those listener success stories coming this year Again, you know, keep us, you know, posted how your season goes, and you're not going to want to miss this week's outro, guys, where we kind of break down this four-part series on the podcast with Shane uh, uh, Shane Parker and Paul Putera. So, so I'll, I'll say before we kick it off here, uh, before we leave this, um, 
if you guys want extra content, head over to Patreon. That's where you're going to get early access to videos, early access to certain podcasts, and exclusive access to videos and podcasts that don't go anywhere else. You can also get access to our collaborator tier. You know, season's about to come off here. We get a lot of mapping questions. If you want us to literally hop on a call for you, map scout your property for you and everything, you can go hit up that tier, and uh, that's going to be an opportunity for you to do that with us. Um, so we're really excited about that. Go check it out. Also, if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can cut all the ads out of these episodes. So you can listen completely ad-free via Apple Podcasts. You just got to go subscribe on there. It's $1.99 a month, man. $1.99 a month. So uh, that's pretty much all I got here. Uh, we appreciate the support, guys. and we're, we're excited. Full steam ahead in deer season. Man. Absolutely. So we'll catch you all back here on this Friday's episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Out here. All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about hey, which saddle should i get which tree stand should i get what about this piece of gear what about that piece of gear how do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.